Luke chapter number 22. And verse number 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the determining factor right there. Jesus prayed for him that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted everybody said converted say it a little louder strengthen thy brethren incredible words and Peter responded saying Lord I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death and Jesus responded and said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Jesus understood the beginning to the end. He knew what was in Peter. Peter did not even know what was in him until a circumstance brought it out. And yet Jesus loved him through all of that. I want to talk to us again this Sunday on the art of conversion. We talked about this several weeks ago. This is part two. And if you enjoyed part one, you're going to enjoy part two even more. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you for the abundance of all things. We thank you for those that are here today. We thank you for those that are watching um, on our live stream service. We pray that the Word of God and the Spirit of God can make entrance into every life, every heart, and make a difference. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Everybody have your cell phone. I want you to hold your cell phone up. Would you hold it up if you got your cell phone with you? Okay, yes, thank you, Brother Martin. Brother Martin, yell that out. He didn't say shut up. He said shut it off. Uh, it's, you know, it's important that we hear everything correctly. Please turn your cell phone off and let us give God the respect that he is worthy of. Hallelujah. Thank you. In Jesus' name. We started this um, out several weeks ago and in the midst of talking about conversion and the different dimensions of conversion, we ended it up by talking about the greatest conversion of all is the new birth. And if you're sitting here this morning let me preach the gospel unto you that you need to repent of your sins, and when you do, God will forgive you of your sins, your thoughts, your actions, your deeds, your meditations, the words, everything. And then you must be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins. 
and then you will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And everybody said, Amen. And that is the greatest conversion of all is the new birth. And I thought it interesting in preparing for this uh, again this morning, the unique correlation between transformation and conversion. They are very closely related. Um, This particular passage of scripture, we're not going to talk about this right now, but our text in Luke chapter number 22, Jesus said unto Peter, and when thou art converted, converted means to turn. It means to change in Peter's case, it meant to change his direction, but there was a lot more that was involved in that that we'll be talking about um, here Today, when we talk about the art of conversion, the reason why we chose the word art is because the word art is short for articulate or articulation. The artist understands articulation. He has, he has the image in his mind that he wants to express, and it is that expression using his mind, using his physical abilities, and continuing to uh, put a picture, a sculpture, or something together. He is articulating. He is fashioning. He is putting together. He is manifesting. He is making making visible that which was in his uh, in his mind or in his heart. And so it is the articulation. It is the process of expression. And that's why we've entitled this the art of conversion. The second dynamic of conversion can be found in Revelations chapter number 19 and verse number 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Notice this last phrase. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, Pastor, how does that relate to us today? Very important principle here of converting prophecy or a promise, a word that is directly given from God, needs to be converted into testimony. It is one thing for God to give you a promise or a word or some supernatural direction. It is completely and entirely another thing for you to begin to walk a certain way and walk a specific way with consecration, dedication, and expectation so that the word or the prophetical utterance that was given to you is converted into life. Let's look at the scripture found here in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 55 and verse number 11. 
It says this, so this is God speaking, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Everybody said amen. I want you to read that. I want you, you don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to look at the scripture with me. Very important. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. When God's word goes forth in a life, that word will affect exactly what God promised he would do or what whatever the situation is but you have to be the carrier now of that I I heard the story one time it it uh, was a story that was originally told by Ronald Reagan when he was president of the United States and he told the story of a farmer and a farmer was looking over uh, a portion of his land that was just, it was overgrown, had stumps, weeds, everything. And one day the farmer just took a look at this piece of property and he said, what would happen if I cleared this off and I irrigated it, I did whatever I could do and I could, I could plant a garden there and I could, I, could, I could plant some things that I've been wanting to take care of in this particular part of the farm. And so that's exactly what he did. He, he exerted some effort. He began to pull weeds. He began to dig up stumps. He began to dig out roots. He began to level it off and clean out the soil. And then he began to plant tomatoes, cucumbers. I don't want to say too much because I'm already hungry. I think you've already got the point. And so the day came, he went to church and he said, Pastor, you've just got to come by and see this garden. Um, I, I took a piece of ground and, and it is producing incredible vegetables, and, and you need to come by. And the pastor said, all right, I'll do that. I'll come by. So the day came, the pastor came by, and they go to this portion of the property, and they're looking at this, and the pastor's looking at the fruit, and he said, man, I have never seen voluptuous, big, rich, ripe tomatoes. And I'm going to tell you something. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, don't get me off track here, but there is nothing in the world like a fresh, organic tomato. And if you agree with me, just nod. Okay. Uh, If you've never had one, if you've done all your shopping at Walmart and you've done all your shopping from a supermarket, you don't know what you're missing by having organically grown vegetables. And I need a bunch of farmers out there just say amen. amen. Let these city slickers... Uh. So the pastor just went on and on. Man, look at the cucumbers and the tomatoes, and look at this and look at that. And finally, the farmer got agitated because he wasn't getting any credit. And so he said, Pastor, he said, you should have seen this field when God had it all to himself. The conversion of that field took somebody getting a vision, somebody rolling up their sleeves, somebody taking the effort, somebody believing that the process 
of photosynthesis and growth and care would produce this kind of fruit. What I'm trying to say is God will do his part if you and I will do our part. There are people in the 21st century that have been completely manipulated and controlled by social media and video games and this present political infrastructure of thinking the government's going to do everything for you. And then when they come to God, they act like they're absolutely shocked that they have to believe, they have to receive, they have to give, they have to consecrate. Ladies and gentlemen, eternity is going to be worth it all. If I understand that book and go into heaven as a reality, it means nothing to give up a little bit of this and give up a little bit of that and let Jesus Christ lead me and guide me in my life. The reason why I brought up that illustration is because years ago, God spoke to my wife and I to come to Spokane, Washington. We had no, we had never seen any of this. We had no idea you were going to be here. I'm glad you're here, but I had no idea you were going to be here. I had no idea that we would be in this setting, but the reality of it was that God spoke to us, and that word, that prophecy, that promise has converted into reality because somebody said, I will not give up. I will not back up. I will not backslide. I will not get carnal. I will not lose my faith. I will not lose my passion. I will not lose my desire, clap your hands and give God the praise. When God gives you a promise, you've got to see it all the way through and let it convert into your testimony. Shout and give God the praise right now. But that has now become the fabric of our testimony of Cornerstone. But it started out with the promise. It started out with the prophecy. But through the process of time, time and faith and God have converted that to where it's now our story. Pastor, I need a word. I need a word what God wants me to do, all right? God wants to do that for you. But you have to make up your mind before you get that word from God. There's a lot of people that are going to, that are going to arrive at the judgment seat of Christ that are going to have to give an account for all the words, words that you, promises that you may have even forgotten. That's why you need to get into the Holy Ghost because what happens when you get into the Holy Ghost and you get into that groove of God, I'm, here's my heart, here's my mind, here's my soul and my strength. God will quicken you to a promise that was made to you in your childhood. God will quicken you to a promise that he gave you when you went on that five-day fast. God will quicken to you in another place in your life so you can continue to carry that promise. How many prophets? are in this room today that are unfilled. My brothers and my sisters, let us get into alignment and let God quicken you. Your family's still coming. Your neighbors are still coming. Your backslidden. Come on, let's clap our hands and give God the praise. You have to carry that with faith. Joseph 
We've heard a lot about Joseph, but the Cody Marks preached about Joseph. Brother Darren Sargent preached a masterpiece here on Wednesday night, and he brought up Joseph. But Joseph is the preeminent example of converting a prophecy into his personal testimony. See, when God gives you a promise, you cannot say, I'm just going to keep living like I was living and do whatever I want. No, you're going to, at some point, there's going to be a fork in the road where the promise goes one direction, or rather, the promise absolutely becomes static. It cannot move any further. Because when Jesus gives you a promise, it has to ride on the back of a human life. It, it, can, it, can only, it cannot be fulfilled through an angel. It has to be fulfilled through a human life. That's one of the things that makes this supernaturally one of the most exciting things I've ever been a part of in my life that God can speak something and you start to see it happen in degrees and you think what a mighty God you are what a great God you are that you can speak something to me in private and it becomes fulfilled in living color clap your hands and give God the praise but there's a lot of people that are going to be held accountable Because that was the testimony of Jesus. You weren't just carrying that for yourself. You were carrying that so that when it became fulfilled, give me that scripture, uh, Brother Andrew, in Genesis chapter 45. After that prophecy became fulfilled, Elder Sergeant, and he's now looking into the faces of his 11 brothers that were totally shocked that they had placed him in a pit. He had been tempted with adultery. He had been falsely accused and placed in a prison for 20 years. And when he's finally faced with his brethren, he got the revelation. God gave me that promise because we're fulfilling a prophecy that was connected to Genesis 15 with Abraham. And in that prophecy that God gave to Abraham, it was that God is going to position his people, and in the fourth generation, they're going to come out with great substance. And so God always used famine. He always used a situation to posture and position his people. And so Joseph understood, I'm just not here for myself. I'm part of a prophecy that's connected to the past and a prophecy to be fulfilled in the future. And he said, don't be angry with yourselves that you should, uh, that you sold me hither for God did send me before you to preserve life. Clap your hands and give God the praise. <laughs> because Joseph understood the magnitude of that prophecy. He put up with being put down. He put up with resisting sexual immorality. He put up with being falsely accused and sitting in a jail and watching the baker and the butler get out before he gets out. In fact, Joseph had such a great spirit that they made him the head of the prison. You got to have a good spirit to be falsely imprisoned 
and end up being the leader of the prison. You got to have a great spirit. You know what? He was reminded of that promise. And so by him carrying that prophecy, it modified his attitude. I can't get ugly. I can't fall into adultery right here. I've got a prophecy. I can't get bitter that I was put down by my brethren. I've got a prophecy. I can't get bitter and ugly and hate God and hate life because all I'm doing is smelling the stale air of a prison. No, I'm carrying a prophecy. And so not only did God fulfill the prophecy, but I submit to you that the reason why God uh, fulfilled that prophecy is because it changed Joseph's life. It didn't make him worse. It made him better. It made him, it made him have a perfect spirit. He understood God. He understood God, oh, somebody help me. There are people, there are some people under the sound of my voice that are carrying a promise. That was intended not for you to stay the way you were when God gave it to you. That has a residual effect of while you're waiting for its fulfillment. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Why don't we just lift our hands? I feel in the Holy Ghost just to slow down here. This is what happened with part one. When you, when you, get, when you get that kind of a prophecy and a promise from God, do not share it with people that don't like you. This is, this, is, this is the lesson that Joseph did not learn. You would have thought that after the way that they treated him, having a multicolored coat, which was a gift from his father, that he would have said, I ain't telling you guys anything. When he got that promise from God, yeah, you guys are going to, I saw this dream, I had a dream, and in this dream, all of the sheaves made obeisance, which means they bowed. They all bowed down to Joseph, and they just hated him the more. And then he dreamed another dream, and it involved the stars and the sun. And anytime you see the astronomical brought in uh, to the Old Testament, it's indicative of the supernatural. That's exactly what happened with Abraham. First, he was to count the sand of the seashore that would have been talking about his lineage. And then the prophecy went in another, it went further. And he said, look up and look at the stars, which is always indicative of the supernatural. So it was not only talking about his lineage, which was the Jews, but it was talking about the church, talking about the stars futuristically. And that's exactly what Joseph, Joseph was directly tied to the prophecy of Abraham. And so when God gives you a promise that he's going to use you as an evangelist, and you're going to end up being greatly used of God in the end time as you continue to fulfill that. You're manifesting Jesus through your life. When God gives one to this one over here, that he's going to marry a beautiful girl and be a pillar in the church, and God's going to bless him. And as he's doing that, he's manifesting Jesus. Why? Because the testimony of Jesus, spirit of prophecy, when this guy gets a promise that he's going to be a champion Bible quizzer and God's going to call him to be a missionary to a foreign nation, as he gives himself to that, that is the testimony of Jesus. From generation to generation, with every promise that God 
God gives to people as you continue to modify your life and let God unfold that. That is Jesus operating in the human dimension until the end time. Clap your hands and give God the praise. To say, I just go to church and I'm living my life any want to, you are denying the testimony of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and just pray for a minute. Oh, God, help me to remember all those. When I was desperate, you talked to me. When I went on that fast, you gave me a promise. When I needed you, you found me and you spoke to me. God, I need that. I want to I keep that in my purview. I don't want to let that get away from me. I, I want to keep it near me. I want to I vouchsafe it in my soul where it's etched on the walls of my heart. Converting prophecy into testimony. And we have another conversion, which is physically inexplainable. Every one of these degrees of conversion are inexplainable to the fleshly man. Let us go to Romans chapter number five. And let us start in verse number three. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. When is the last time you gloried in tribulation? It's just like, brother, if you weren't here um, on Wednesday night, we didn't have service on Tuesday because it was, uh, it was one, two, three, was it a four day or five day weekend? I don't know. But we moved service to Wednesday. And then we had all church prayer on Thursday and Brother Darren Sargent uh, preached here on Wednesday night and he preached about affliction and the purpose of affliction. And that really it's inescapable if you're really gonna be a child of God, um, that affliction is part of that. But look at this right here. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. When is the last time you saw somebody run the aisles and you say, hey, what's going on? I'm glorying in tribulations. That would really be something, wouldn't it? But yet the Apostle Paul had a revelation. He had a revelation. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Everybody in this building, please say patience. Everybody that needs patience, say patience. Man, what an honest group of people. I just love preaching here. And that is really the reality of being in the 21st century is you have to understand really how automated the big, the big fear today is AI, artificial intelligence. But artificial intelligence has made, already made inroads into our lives that should have never been there. What did we do before we had all that? They probably prayed. People probably prayed a lot more. People probably actually read their Bibles. 
people actually probably really did consecrate and dedicate their lives to God. Instead, and I'm not, I'm not here to cast stones or shoot arrows at people. That's, that's, that, that's not my intention. But I'm just saying, you know how it is. You, you get, everything is so easy, uh, you know. What's this? It's cheese. What's this? It's cheese. What's this? It's cheese. What's this? It's cheese. You go into a store, you got 50 different kinds of cheese. You got four different brands of ketchup. You've got, you've got all kinds of this, all kinds of that, all kinds of this. And it's molding us and shaping us to think that we can have everything we want right now. Jesus said, I, I, I will do that for you also. But you're going to have to learn to pray. You're going to have to ask. You're going to have to seek. You're going to have to knock. And here am I glorified that we bear much fruit. And so I, I realize as a, as a pastor and a spiritual leader that, that these things are against us. And they are against us, and unless we are challenged, it's not going to be easy to part way. That's why I do what I'm doing with the cell phone, is I want, I want the Holy Ghost to know God, you're more important than Instagram. Instagram cannot save me. Instagram cannot give me the joy of the Lord. It might give you joy, and that's where the problem is, because our joy is in man-made junk. And when it's in man-made junk, when God really wants to give us something of value, like character and integrity, and, oh, come on, somebody. Mom and Dad, help me out tonight. It's not a video game you need. It's a prayer life in the Holy Ghost. And we're being, all of us are being confronted with this in this hour. It's a huge deal. And that's one of the reasons why I ask everybody to hold their cell phone up. But to please turn it off. Because I want God to know we want you more than we want some little news on Fox News. Pastor, I just got an alert. What happened? Well, Kim Kardashian is going out with Tom Brady now. Where's the flush button? Ladies and gentlemen, I want God more than I've ever wanted him. You want God more than you've ever wanted him. Let's, let's praise him right now. Let's take a moment and exalt him over every lion devil, the prince of the power of the air, radio waves, internet waves, that which is operating in. Let's disrupt that with praise and worship. Come on, somebody, give God some real praise right now. Send a warhead out in the spirit today. Oh, look, there's a church down there. They're shutting off their cell phone. They're leaving their cell phone in the car. They're not bringing it in anymore where I can divert their attention while God's trying to bless them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's go to verse 4. And patience leads to experience. And experience, hope. Next verse. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So if the Holy Ghost is in my heart... 
Why am I experiencing tribulation? Because God is trying to convert your life into maturity. It is impossible to be impatient and be mature. It is impossible to be immature and to be mature in the spirit. There has to be some self-control. There has to be some personal discipline. And so the only way that can happen is to suffer need. I know that I'm starting to look like the bearer of bad news, but ladies and gentlemen, this is so right. The way that God produces something good in our lives is by bringing something that challenges us in our life. The way that you overcome lust is by becoming holy. The way that you overcome impatience is to suffer need and tell your flesh, I will not go to the internet. I will not go to the world. I will not go to worldly friends. I will get on my knees and wait on my God. And the byproduct produces patience. Oh, somebody help me. It is the conversion. Everybody in this building is being converted on different levels. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And they have graduated. They are now using the wings of eagles. Eagles fly higher than any other bird. You only become a high flyer when tribulation starts a process. And tribulation produces patience. And patience says, I've been here before and God got me out of that. God will get me out of this. So you sit tight. You keep your attitude right. You keep your tongue right. You keep your mind right. You keep your heart right. And pretty soon, it's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And now you have an accumulation of experiences. And somebody else comes into the church and they just, well, you know, we just don't really, we just don't really believe God's going to, oh, honey, listen, I've been there. We've got, we've, got some, we've got some saints in this church that if you give them half a chance, oh, honey, God's going to come through. I want it now. If I get online, I can have it now. You get online, you can experience dopamine now. So God cannot process and convert. Let's lift our hands and ask God to help us. Patience brings forth experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed. What are you doing? I'm just hoping. I don't see nothing. I'm just hoping. Why? Because he did it before. He did it over there. He did this and this, did this, and I've already learned this is how it happens. Come on, let's really praise him. God's good. God loves you today. God wants to bless you today. God wants to deposit something in your life today that's from another world that will convince you that he's worthy of your trust. This is one that really gets me. I'm, I'm really meddling now. Pastor, 
I just got to have a husband. I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get a husband. Well, I've been married a long time. Let me tell you, you're going to be just fine. And I am married to somebody that's angelic. And every once in a while, I get bonked by one of those seraphimic wings. But it's joyous. It's enrapturing. Listen, 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 listen. This is a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about right now because people that get impatient because they listen to their flesh. I got to say something right here. I'm feeling a Brother Ari Prado spirit on me right now. Listen, listen. If you were a great fornicator in the world, you, you, you better kill that thing. Because if that thing, like nuclear waste, begins to seep out of human-made containers in our souls, you cannot afford that to taint what God wants to do with you now. You need to take your sword out. You need to put your foot on that thing and chop its head off and say, I'm going to stay pure if it kills me. And God is not asking you to die for him. He's asking you to live for him. Oh, clap your hands and get, he'll do the heavy lifting. It, my God, I feel it now. God will come in like a, and God will do the heavy lifting and God will breathe the word to you and God will give you strength. Clap your hands and give God the praise one more time. Yes. But people, people that were raised in this, and the reason why I know this is because I, I lived in that world for 30 years. And I lived a, a portion of my life thinking I could have anything I wanted anytime I wanted. When you come in, God is going to put you, because he loves you, God's, God is going to put us on a strict regimen. And so don't be frustrated when Mrs. Wright doesn't just walk in and magically appear. Pastor, I've got to be married or I'm not going to make it. Trust me. You'll make it. I just got to have a boyfriend. I just got to have a girlfriend. I just got to, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you're really looking for validation and you need somebody else to validate you. And I'm here to tell you, God's already validated you, but because you're so carnal and you're not in the line with the Holy Ghost, you still don't know who you are. Because if you ever find out who you are, you realize, I got promises, I got prophecy, I've got power. I have a destiny that's from another world. Somebody go ahead and shout and give him the praise. Yeah, that's you. You don't need to look like the world. You don't need to look for your approval from the world. You have your approval from the power of God. And that's why a lot of people feel disenchanted. Nothing happens. God doesn't answer my prayers. I don't know if I really want this. You have to play by the right rules to get the right stuff. The Bible says, except a man strive lawfully, yet he is not crowned. You have to play by God's rules. And that means taking your flesh and saying, flesh, I've got a constant reminder that I let you run my life. All I got to do is look at myself. This is what my flesh got me. 
Why don't I try God? Why don't I see? Why don't I do this Jesus way? Why don't Why don't I give Jesus two or three years and give it everything I got? And let's check our notes. And I'll promise you, in two or three years later, you're gonna say, "I don't know why I, I let the devil do that to me. I don't know why I let the." This entire process, according to this passage of scripture, requires tribulation. This is the big temptation for for people that are new. Pastor, how do you know all this stuff? Because I went through this stuff. All night parties at my house. Go in any room you want to. There's a party going on. I come into the house of God. And now I got to run everybody off and get rid of their phone numbers. How did that happen? God touched me with a magic wand. Ding. And I'm now Pastor Rick. No. I got full of the Holy Ghost. I spent time at his feet and stepped into eternity. And I thought, my God, what have I got a part of? Somebody clap your hands right now. I'm trying to help you. If you knew what you had. You'd never go back to the world again if you met him in the spirit. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Converting weakness into strength. This is the Apostle Paul. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. You're kidding me. Here's the Apostle Paul writing his second letter to the Corinthian church in which he was the spiritual father of that church. And he's explaining to them that he has some physical situation that was sent by God in the form of a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Here is a man that rebuked the devil out of people's lives, drove spiritual wickedness completely out of regions of the earth, most notably Ephesus, Asia Minor, challenged the gates of hell, and now he's got a thorn in the flesh. Let's look at the next verse. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. I prayed unto God that God would change my situation. Next verse. And God said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is converted from weakness. God had to manufacture a weakness for Paul because he didn't have one. I wonder how many people 
have something that was actually divinely placed in their life. Not to go out and sin, that's not even an option here, but it's just, there's some biblical expositors that believe that Paul suffered from a diminishing eyesight. There are some people that believe that he um, had a crook back, or he was hunchback. He had a he had a severe physical problem in his back. There's other people that have surmised other things. I'm not going to surmise anything. I'm just going to tell you that Paul got the revelation that the problem that I am now fighting in my life is the devil, and God is not removing it. You're kidding me. The chiefest of all apostles, the apostle of the Gentiles absolutely shook. He said, I believe it was in Acts 22, he said, all of Asia heard the word of God. This is the man that did it. And God is not going to take care of this problem. Why? For God's strength is made perfect when I have a problem. This is real basic, but in the 21st century, where people are getting most of their information from social media and from the opinions of the world, this is welcome to God's kingdom. This is how God operates. Therefore, everybody said therefore. therefore. Say it again. Therefore. Say it with a smile. Therefore. Say it with glee. Therefore. Say it with happiness. Say it with joy, gladly, gladly, gladly. Okay, this section right here, I'm going to find out how awake you are. Gladly. Wow. Right here. Gladly. I don't think so. You're not being rejected. You're just being... <coughs> Me, 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 me. <clears throat> Gladly. Gladly. I will now glory in my infirmities. This is the highest form. Listen to me. I'm almost done preaching. This is the highest form of spiritual maturity that I can find in Scripture. That you have an issue that God's not going to fix. So you posture yourself so that now becomes the medium of more strength more God in prayer. Well, Pastor, I didn't sign up for this. Man, over at the other church across town, we got a program, and everybody's got a little piece of cake and got a little candle on it, and all we needed to do was listen to John 3.16. I can't help that. It's not, it's not God. When God takes control of your life, he's going to convert you to what you were. 
into a tailor-made devil chaser that's mature, that's solid, that's strong and powerful. Converting. You know, there's, there's some saints that go to this church. You don't hear a lot from them. Thank you. My angel has spoke. I want to tell you, I am my wife's slave. Is that all right? But I love it. Okay? I'll forget it. Listen, waiting on the right one is worlds better than marrying the wrong one. Somebody ain't moving right now, and you know it's the truth. Just thank God God's forgiven you, and you've got a clean slate, and now let's go and let's have revival. Waiting on God. I got a bunch of young men over here. I can come over and start experimenting on them right now. They're thinking, Pastor, I want to get married. Well, I want you to get married too. But you need to, you need to wait on God. I cannot tell you how many hours I have spent in counseling. Oh, I need to say something right now. I just thought of something. Be glad, be thankful it didn't work out. Oh, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. Be thankful it didn't work out. Don't cry any tears. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll cry, but just be glad it didn't work out. Because being single with Jesus is better than married in hell. Some of you help me out right now. Some of you don't want to do anything, but that's okay. I feel, I feel your strength. And let me tell you what, a great marriage is up, down, all around. And because God's going to use that marriage to work on you. You're going to get converted. Well, Pastor, I already got the Holy Ghost. I'm already a good guy. You don't, you don't even understand what's going on. The marriage is not about you. The marriage is about us. Really? I didn't see that in the Bible. Well, let's go to my office and have a little Bible study. So, anyway. The highest form of spiritual maturity is when you come to the place of realizing that I may not like where I'm at. <clears throat> I got to stand up. I don't want to stand right there. I don't want you guys to think I'm preaching down to you, but I'm not going back to drugs. God wants to know. If, if, if the devil can pull your chain and you're going to be on internet pornography, 
before the day is through, then you're never going to be, you're never going to experience the process that God saw for your life when he brought you out of darkness. You have to, you have to say, you know what? I don't like where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm having to deal, call it, call, it, call it withdrawals from the world and social media and listen to every lion devil and listen to all these impulses. But you gotta say, you gotta back up and say, you know what? I'm not going back to the world. I won't go back to sin. I will not go to compulsive behavior. I'm, not, I'm just gonna get down and do what the Bible says. I'm gonna find a place to pray. I might just be there for a long time. I may not even connect with God, but I want God to know I'm yours. I'm not running away. I'm not backsliding because I'm not getting my needs met. God can't convert immaturity into maturity if you're constantly feeding immaturity and you're not willing to address your adult adolescence. Is that all right? I said it. What is adult adolescence? It means people that are in a full-grown body that act like little kids. This entire section is motionless. I love you all. I'm just having fun with you. But you understand what I'm saying. Until you can wrestle you down and say, dude, what are you doing? I can't do that and be this. I can't have this and have that. Somewhere you gotta say, you know what, God, forgive me for being stupid. I've made my mistakes, I've thought like a child, I acted like a child, but I'm done! And I'm gonna start letting God convert the immaturity into solidity and the wishy-washiness where nobody can, because an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a foot out of joint and a broken tooth. You avoid it. That you take that solvent immaturity and it becomes strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And now, pastor, I think so-and-so likes me. Oh, nice. God was just waiting for you to grow up. Well, what's wrong with marrying up? When it's God, you'll be equal. Well, I'm looking for somebody I can marry up. If, if it's in God, it probably won't happen. Because God's going to make sure all that stuff is processed out of you so that you both can be the heirs of the grace of life together and your prayers are not hindered. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. Jesus, I love you today. I love all these wonderful people. I give you all the praise. I thank God for this church. I'm asking that you bless people. Wow. There's some people under the sound of my voice. You have a ministry. I want you to listen to me. I'm almost done. I promise I'm almost done because I feel like God's almost done. And the sign that I'm too old to pastor is when God stops and I just keep going. Whew. 
My God, I feel it. My God, I feel it. There's people under the sound of my voice that have a ministry. You are not waiting on God. God is waiting on you. The kind of ministry that is going to push back the gates of hell in the 21st century has got to have the victory. In the private areas of your life, if you slip, get back up. But you posture yourself so that you can get above and beyond it and let God really bless you. And I feel it on me right now. I could almost prophesy over some people right now. Let's just lift our hands and talk to Jesus right now. I love you, God. I love this group of people that you assembled with your own fingers. Some of them you brought from a long way. And some of those that you brought here have a ministry. Man, are you feeling what I'm feeling? My goodness. Is there anybody feeling what I'm feeling? Brother Logan, how to go over there today? Good. Brother Logan preached in a neighboring church. They called me up and asked if we had somebody we could send over there, and we sent Brother Logan. There's some people over there. One of these days, God's going to send you. If you'll stay in the saddle. I don't have my cell phone with me. I wish I wish I'd have my cell phone's in my office because I don't bring it into service. But I got a text from one of the most powerful evangelists. And when I mean powerful, I mean mightily used to God. He sent me a text. He said, Brother May, I was praying for you this morning. He said, God showed me in bold letters transformation and that he is going to speed up the sequence of revival in Spokane. When I, when I saw that, I felt a shudder go through me because there were things that I believe that God told me personally in prayer that this man was addressing. He said, because you've prayed and built a memorial before God for the sake of revival, 
God is about to do this in Cornerstone because he has plans. He has plans that Cornerstone will be one of these reference points of revival throughout the United States. Words of that, I'm going off memory, but essentially it was that. So since I was just given that by a well-known, received, anointed, I'll just go out and just live any way I want to, just do whatever I want, right? How does that become materialized? You grab it, and you keep on walking. I'm not going to turn to the left or the right. I am not after some vain political position. I'm not looking to manipulate God's people. I'm not looking to do anything. I'm looking to see that prophecy and many other prophecies fulfilled in my life. And that means whatever I get involved in, the devil says, go do this. That's right there. No. I'm constantly answering to the promise, not to what my flesh is telling me to do. Let's lift our hands and just pray. I'm almost done, I promise. Somebody, let's really pray. God is going to bring strength out of your weakness. If you'll let him, if you'll posture yourself, I have more of these. I've got I got one more point to make and then you'll be dismissed and I will go to the restaurant and convert food into body fat. <laughs> but that's not in my notes. Maybe next time. Converting mistakes into ministry. Peter, Satan's going to try to take you out. Oh, not me, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm with you all the way. Jesus looked right through Peter in 3D. And he thought, I know you love me, but you're as wishy-washy as a broomstick in the ocean right now. Jesus almost prophesied his failure. But through it all, he accepted Peter. In fact, not only did he accept Peter, don't, don't lose this because this is very important. Jesus prophesied his purpose after his failure. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand people that backslide and say, I can't go back to that church because I messed up. This is where you ought to go when you're messed up. But you know what happens? 
The devil talks to them and says, they're going to judge you. They're going to look down their long pharisaical nose at you. You don't want to hear the whispers. I rebuke that lying devil in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that lying voice in the name of Jesus. That is keep, keeping people frozen from coming to this church. Come on, press against it. Manifest the opposite of that. There are people that need to be here. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. The faith that Peter needed was not when he was being told, you're one of them, your, your, your speech betrays you, you're one of his disciples. No. Peter cursed he tried to distance himself from any association to Jesus, so he used curse words. The faith that Jesus was praying for, for Peter, was after his failure. That he wouldn't walk off into the sunset and forget There's a set of keys out there somewhere. And he gave me those keys. Where Peter needed those prayers from Jesus is when the devil said, I got the keys and you ain't getting them. It's over. Jesus prayed that Peter had enough substance that he wouldn't just walk off into the sunset and say, I've messed up, I can never go back, I can never be used, I'll never be a part. The shame, the humiliation, the fear. No, Jesus prayed for Peter that there was perimeters on that, that there was, that there was some substance within Peter. And so, so what did Peter do? Peter just came back and started hanging out. He didn't say much. Peter, what are you doing? Ah. Peter, what's going on? But he wouldn't stay away. Finally, Peter said, I'm going fishing. Nothing's happening here. I'm just going to go back to fishing. I'm going to go back to what I did before Jesus called me out of that profession. I'm going to go back to fishing. And it was in that moment that Jesus appeared on the shore. And so Jesus is now going to help a man that outside of Judas made the biggest mistake in the ministry of Jesus. Peter, do you love me? I do love you, God. It was a moment of weakness. It was a series of stupid decisions. Feed my sheep. You're kidding. Remember what Jesus told him in Luke 22? When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Where was he going to strengthen him? Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. 
Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. How did he know that? Because he experienced that. Go to Psalms 51, verse 12, please. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Next verse. Next verse. Then. You just committed this. You just committed that. You just did this. You just did that. You just did this. God, I'm going to be a soul winner now. <laughs> Convert my mistakes into purpose. I think it's a tragedy that when people mess up, they don't come to church. They stay away from church. I, I, I'm just going to tell you as the pastor, I'm not in favor of that. I'm not in favor of, well, you know, brother so-and-so doesn't want to come back to church because he, you know, da-da-da. We're on your side. Oh, come on, somebody help me out today. This is a conversion that can only take place in the Holy Ghost. Here's Peter. He's a cussing, backslid Pentecostal preacher. And on the day of Pentecost, God threw him the microphone. I know just how you guys feel. <laughs> this same Jesus who you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He said, men and brethren, what will we do? Peter said, I know just how you guys feel, but if you'll repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Peter was the only one that could preach that. Peter could identify with the Jews. Peter understood. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Wow. Converting mistakes, converting failures into your future. That is a conversion that only God can do. God wants to do it. God will do it where people will let him do it. I have other conversions that we will talk about at another time. Converting time just sitting around wasting time, we're going to have to give an account what we did with our time. Time was meant to be converted. And then finally, converting waste into power. One of the latest industries to hit in the 21st century, in the latter part of the 20th century, was converting waste, garbage, into power. Let's stand. Everybody under the sound of my voice has a piece of this message today. Let's lift our hands and let's pray. Well, I came here, preacher, to hear what God was going to do for me. That's exactly what I preached. But it's going to take more than a one-time visit, putting all these conditions on God. 
It's going to come down to saying, God, I'm in this forever. Whatever you want to do to me. Convert me into a saint. Take me as a sinner. And convert me into a saint of God. Come on, let's lift our hands and pray. God is working in every single life here today by the authority of the name of Jesus. Brother Jordan, would you come please? I love you, Jesus. I praise you, God. I worship you, Jesus. I stand before you here today. It's the honor of a thousand lifetimes to be a part of what God is doing. And it's even a, a greater honor to be the pastor of this, this group of people, this church. If you knew how many times I let God articulate conversion. If you knew. But a man's greatest testimony is not splashed on pages. His greatest testimony is between him and God. Just awed by the amazing mercy. When's the last time grace was amazing? I submit to you that grace should always be amazing to us. I came, I came here today. I was going to preach something completely different. I just thought these are principles that have to get out there just have to have these kind of principles in our lives. But every single person under the sound of my voice, God, is in some form of conversion in your life. Yes, you're here. Yes, you're in the church. But that's, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of a fine work of art, of sculpting a life and a beautiful Painting, beautiful testimony, power of a life, the sturdiness and strength of a life. Let's lift our hands. The conversion is being articulated in every life, every heart in this building today in some manner. 
Jesus, we need you today. Jesus, we need you today. You know what? Why don't you, let's continue to pray. Why don't you just slip on out and come on down to this altar? This is a perfect time to respond to the word of God that's been preached today. God, I need that. God, I need, I need you to make me aware of that promise, that prophecy. God, I need, I need you to give me patience while, while, while you're converting my impatience and my immaturity into maturity and my, my, my solubility into strength and solidity. And God, you're wanting to convert my mistakes into the purpose of the future. Come on, this altar's open. Come on, come on. In Jesus' name, come on. Cornerstone, help us pray. Some of you, help me, help me pray with all these in Jesus' name. Let's sing a song. When I feel walled in by my own. 